0: Okay, so we're in this series called Legends where we're looking at these life-changing moments in the Bible in the hopes that we'll have moments of life change for us. So if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Jonah. Now, Jonah is the fifth of what we call the minor prophets. So whenever you look at your Bible, you see those last 12 books in the Old Testament of the 39 books and the fifth one is Jonah. And he's not a minor prophet in the the way of importance. Uh, He is a minor prophet because of the smaller size of the books, but he is a major player. In fact, in chapter 12 of Matthew, Jesus mentions Jonah, and I hope today that we can learn from Jonah and this story of Jonah. Jonah has received a call from God to preach repentance to the people of Nineveh. And Jonah is commanded to go about 500 miles northeast to Nineveh. And instead, he goes to Joppa. He gets a boat ticket, and he wants to go 2,000 miles southeast to Tarshish. He's going in the opposite direction. That word Joppa sounds a little familiar to you from the New Testament. Peter had a similar command at Joppa and God said to him, don't call unclean, what I say is clean. So his disobedience, he's getting on the boat and a great storm comes up and his disobedience finds judgment and he is in down underneath And all of those who are panicking up on the deck are trying to figure out what in the world is the reason for all of this. So a lot of idols and false gods come into play in the story, but they finally figure out, and of course Jonah knows, he knows why, what's going on. He says, hey, I'm on the run from the one true God. I should have gone to Nineveh, but we're being punished because of this. And by the way, he asked them, to throw him over. Did you ever realize you think, Jonah, if you really believe that, why don't you just take a run and jump off? He asked them, he said, why don't you throw me over? They still kind of go back and forth a little bit. And then finally, Jonah uh, jumps. they finally throw, he's tossed into the water and the storm broke after he was thrown into the water. And this is where the story gets really interesting in that he is swallowed up by a great fish and he spends three days and three nights in the belly of a whale. And Jonah awoke in the belly of this fish and cried out to God and he confessed his disobedience and he told God that he would accomplish the task the Lord had called him to do. And then he instructed the great fish to go and really vomit Jonah out onto dry ground. But even though Jonah preached to the people. He was not happy. And so he climbs up to the top of a mountain to watch the Lord destroy the city. That's where we join in, where we're gonna read this morning. In chapter four, verse 11, I'm so thankful that scripture doesn't hide the scars of its heroes. And we're gonna see that today. Verse one, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and he said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Interesting, isn't it, that he is saying, Oh, God, you are exactly who I thought you were and who I knew you to be. You're just too good. I knew you would do this. And he's complaining that God is just too kind and too good. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? This is where Dr. Phil got the term. How's that working for you? So he turns to the Lord and the Lord says, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he uh, he should see what would happen, so he could see what would happen to the city. Now, the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Now, you might want to underline that because that's the only time in the whole book of Jonah when Jonah is happy. That's it right there. That's all you get. He's glad because of the plant. Got that? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Third time he's talked about how miserable he is. And we can't quite understand in our language the intensity in the Hebrew of what Jonah would be saying. Angry enough to die. And the Lord said this, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, this great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who did not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Isn't it interesting that Jonah's, this book of Jonah, ends on a question. Father, I pray today that you would give me the words and help us to know your word, help us to know you more, because we have been with you. I pray, Father, that you would help me in everything I say. Help us, Lord, to know you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Jonah is not some reluctant, unbelieving person. He is a passionate prophet. Who knows the Lord? He happens to be a prophet in a place where history never dies. A prophet who loves his people. That is when he is saying, Therefore, O Lord, take my life, because he sees the people, the people of Nineveh. This is not minor in its intensity, it's not apathy. Jonah not wanting to do what what is best for his people. It is not making sense to Jonah. You see, there are centuries that have been locked into hate and prejudice. And this deeply reactive moment when he knows that the people who are in extra-biblical literature, we know the Ninevites, have been ruthless. They've murdered many, many people. They are a ruthless people. In fact, there's some extra biblical literature that shows that they would cut off, they would go into a place, invade it, they would cut off the heads of those who were the intellectuals of the community and then create a pyramid with those heads. They were ruthless. And Jonah knows who these people are and he doesn't want to go hated a hated people you can become so entrenched in what you think in what the culture thinks in what the world says that you can become callous about the instructions from God when you know something to be right and you've been told what to do when you've been told what to do by god now listen to me this is a truth you always will keep moving you will be moving you'll either be moving towards what god told you or you'll be running from it 2500 miles students listen to me you're about to go some of you are just sophomores and juniors but and you go off to college you will have this same dilemma and you will keep moving. You will either move towards what God is calling you to or you will move away from it. You'll go on the run from it. I wanna encourage you today to listen to the Lord and what he's instructed. There's a famous atheist in the last century who was kind of confronted with this question. He was very public. He was very well known as an atheist. He was quite a philosopher. And they said, now, let's just, just for a moment, just say there's a God. And when you die, you get to heaven and you realize that he exists. What will you say to him? And he said, I only have one question. Why didn't you give me more evidence? Romans 1 in our Bible says it is not the lack of evidence that is our problem, it is the suppression of the evidence that is our problem. We see, we hear, we would rather suppress it than acknowledge the evidence. Here's three things I want us to know about Jonah and I want it to be for us to learn the lesson of this story, Jonah. First thing is this. Jonah is out of touch with his surroundings. Arise, go, and cry. Arise, go, and cry. Arise, go, and cry. Go, Jonah. Three times he tells him, go to Nineveh. Go, go. But he had lost touch with his surroundings. He was blinded. To what was going on due to what was expected rather than what God had asked him to do. This is why it's so important that you and I be mindful of what God is saying to us in this day and age where we live and that we be in touch with what he is saying. And we, most of the time, listen, in our culture, it will be to do the unexpected thing. Because the expected thing is to return evil for evil. The expected thing is for you to talk however you wanna talk or however everybody else is talking at school or how everybody else is talking on Instagram or saying whatever else everybody who looks and acts like you is saying. But God is calling you, to be more in touch with your surroundings and to do the unexpected thing. As a young parent, do the unexpected thing because all of your peers are doing the same thing. We are to be a peculiar people, but so many times we don't do the unexpected thing, we just do what everybody else is doing. And so I encourage you today the storm is all around us. There is every, every internet possibility. We return evil for evil. We lie to justify the ends. We have lowered the bar of integrity for every human reason just to make us feel better. Don't let your hearts grow cold to the things of God in this day. There is a menu being offered to us that is anchored in sin and justified by feelings that are as prominent in our culture as the air we breathe. And in the name of doing what, is, what feels right, we don't even ask the question, what is right to feel? We are led by whatever feels right. It's very interesting, now as a pastor, my heart aches because as a pastor, I'm seeing the parenting and, the, and marriages and the talking and the angry anger and the lying to others and ourselves. And I think we have lost touch. You know, the whole book of Jonah, it begs this question. How will you respond to the word of God and the will of God? That's really the question of the whole book. How will you respond to the will of God and the word of God when you're confronted with what God is asking you to do in the world with your one and only life? And it's important how we act. We are bombarded, we have lost touch I was going to a Promise Keepers many, many years ago, going to Chicago, and there was a whole bus of us, so we stopped at a place to eat uh, lunch on our way up. And uh, so we all go, we, and Ben and I, a friend of mine, Ben, we went into a Pizza Hut, and we went in together. And you guys know Pizza Hut, it's, it's a buffet, and I think it's age-dependent. And at this place, it was 0-10. So if you're 10 and below... I think there was one price and there was another for everything else. So I remember we were up and we, we we'd sit down, and there's a family right over here next to us. And they were taking their order too. And uh, the, the man uh, was, kind, the lady was kind of getting the order, and the, the father, what well, I thought was the father, uh, she said, it, it, it's, and he said, he's 10, to get in, him in on the pricing of the 0 to 10, I guess. And, uh, and the, the little boy said, well, Dad, I'm 11. And uh, and the, the little and and the man kind of you know kind of slapped him. It was a kind of awkward moment with the waitress. Okay, yeah, he's 11. All right. She walks away. He slaps him again. What are you? What are you doing? He goes, Dad, I'm 11. And he said, Well, she didn't know that. Here's the thing. What is that man? going to say to his son when he is older to correct him when he lies to deceive his own father? What is that father going to say to his son? We live in a culture. Everything is right and left, and we have forgotten there is an up and a down. We're all thinking in a way where just the culture, you can become so out of touch with your surroundings that you can lose perspective of what God has planted inside of you. I heard a man many, many years ago, I'm rushed for time here, but i never forget 25 years ago, I heard a man say this, it sounds like something I'd heard 25 years ago, so just hang on to me, all right? He said, immorality is always preceded by impiety. Now, I know those are, immorality is always preceded by impiety. And what that means is, what is piety? A lack of piety or reverence, especially for God. Immorality in our streets is is from our irreverence in our hearts towards God. Morality is preceded by belief. You have to look at the spiritual root to address the spiritual problem. But all of us are just sitting around talking about morals and what's right and what's wrong. And we pick and choose. And for us, we pick and choose based on the greater good and all that. You have to look at the spiritual root for the spiritual problem. Here's the second thing. Jonah is not only out of touch with his surroundings, but Jonah is out of touch with his message. In the fish, he knew and enjoyed that God would hear him when he prayed. And he really didn't understand the implications of that for the rest of the world. Think about that. Jonah's in the belly of a well of all the places to pray and cry out to God, but he did not understand the implications of that for the rest of the world, especially for the people of Nineveh. I don't think Jonah would have ever stood up on behalf of God and said, you can go to hell. Walked away. That was probably not his sermon of repentance. But that was where his heart was. How many of us have lost touch and we're out of touch with the message. The very things that we just take so for granted, like the idea that we can just come together here, we can have this tie that binds us together, we're all sinners, we're a bunch of mutts, we're a bunch of people that God brought together, nobody would have ever orchestrated this, no one would have ever put this group together and how he's put this together, and he's brought us all together, and we can sit here today and be thankful, but there's a storm all around us. So many of us, we think of this as a Christian state. We live in a Christian area, which is very true. We're thankful for the heritage that's been passed down. But folks, there are over 20,000 unchurched people just within our county. A majority of the people that live in Whitley County are unchurched. In fact, there are not enough churches and enough space in the churches of Whitley County to hold the people if they came. The same is true of our whole region. Jonah had lost touch with his message. You know, we all know Ephesians 2:10. We are we are God's workmanship created for good works in Christ. We are God's masterpiece. That, that word, we are God's workmanship created for good works in Christ. But you know, we forgot there's a 2, 1 through 10. That's two, ten. There's 2, 1 through 3, which reads this way. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And then four through seven says, but while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We will never graduate, listen to me, this is very important. We will never graduate from the gospel which is that we are sinners, but while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And we get to 10. We are God's masterpiece, creator for good works in Christ. But let's not lose touch with the message. The message is for all have sinned. There's a guy not too long ago who'd been coming here for about six months, and he told me about this interaction he had with a friend. He told him he said, "Hey, guess what? I'm going to church. I've been going to church down at First Church for a while," and he looked at his friend looked at him and said, "This guy's unchurched, hadn't been to church most of his life," and he said, "You don't really believe what they teach down there. I mean, do you really believe that yourself?" And he said. No, I don't, but I think Johnny does, so I think I'm going to go hear him. (laughs) The gospel message that we believe needs to be true in ourselves. How marvelous it is. But here's one of the dilemmas that Jonah is living in. He is out of touch with his surroundings. He's lost touch with his message, but he's in touch with his comfort. You just have to look at the story. The story is, is that when he got the plant, he was happy, he was in the shade. It's the only time in the whole book when he's glad. And there he is, and he's really enjoying that, and then all at once, a worm comes, takes it away, and he's just fit to be tied. He's afraid of what others might say when he goes to this completely godless country to go and preach repentance. He is a Jewish man going to preach repentance to this godless place. And he fights tooth and nail the whole way. I remember a few years ago, I used to go to a thing called youth specialties. Youth specialties is two or three Youth pastor conventions. Luke's been a lot to these things. But uh, I I, I used to go to these things every year. Back in the day, we'd go. They'd have one, and they'd have them in two or three different places. I remember one year, they did it in three places. They did it in San Diego, Orlando, and Cincinnati. And so I called in, and I was like, oh, Cincinnati, I can afford that. Like, I can drive down there. Let's do it. So we go down to Cincinnati, and I remember... uh, and the registration, I was like, wow, I'm really excited. Like, well, we wish there were more people. There aren't as many people as we wish there was. Evidently, Orlando and San Diego are a lot more popular. And I was thinking about that, like, yeah, you know, I could imagine that. It's like, where should I go, Cincinnati or Orlando? Like, you know, pastor's conferences. You know, if they had one in Appleton, Wisconsin, versus Orlando, I believe it to be God's will that I go down to Orlando. I want to be down there. Here's the truth about that. That is that we, are, we move naturally in the direction of our comfort. That's what we do. Now, I think there's a balance in life. There's a time for restoration. There's a time to retreat. But you can't spend your whole life just in retreat. God tells us to go outside of our comfort into arenas of discomfort. In fact, in Deuteronomy 8, you see God's warning to his people. He's promised them this promised land, milk and honey. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. You haven't even seen it yet, but it's really going to be amazing. But he warns them in Deuteronomy 8. He says, be careful because it's going to be so nice that you might forget me. Boy, that's, be careful. Be careful because you might forget me. And I pray that we don't lose sight. Now, I have a confession for you as a dad today. Just as a dad, I have two daughters. Both of them are in their 20s. My oldest daughter, Victoria, uh, graduated. And then after she graduated, she has gone uh, with Habitat for Humanity. She's worked there for like, I think, five years. Is it five? Five years. And... uh, so anyway, she she was she's the head of their faith engagement. She does a bunch of stuff. She's even worked with churches and all this. And along the way, as a dad all along, I was like, okay, that's good. Go with Habitat. But every once in a while, I'm like, hey, you had to warm up that resume. You know, make some money, go out in the marketplace, do some stuff, and uh, really, like, because I know you, you're very driven, you're wonderful, you're very honest, you speak well, you do all these things, all these great things you're doing for Habitat, You, you could make some money doing that." And she's like, well, I really love the mission. I really believe in what they do. Pastor dad. I have Brianna, who graduated three years ago from IU, their School of Education, Special Education, or Elementary Education, and so you know me, Leader Dad. Leader Dad is saying things like, "Hey, make sure you get into the right orbit, get in people that have the best practices, and do all those things, and like you can learn from the best, and like get in that orbit, and like figure out the best practice, put some of that stuff you learned into practice, and really figure it out. Then you can maybe go make, no, no, she." G- No, I'm going to go to the disenfranchised. I wanna cross racial uh, boundaries. I wanna go to the poor. Okay, we can do that for a year. (laughs) No, no, three years later, she's at the most complex school in the whole region. It is an amazing place that is incredible, it's an incredible need. Uh, she had she's had a couple of ex- she's a first grade teacher she's had expulsions out of her class. I honestly think this is I think it's interesting. the first day of school i don 't know if I've told you guys this or not the first day of school, first grade, I show up. I got kicked out of class the first day of school. <laughs> Have I told this story? Miss Plymal had evidently been in Turkey with her husband and she had learned some. Turkish and had learned to play the ukulele and she started playing the ukulele and my cousin David Riggs was in the class and I could not stop laughing. I got so tickled. I could not had a giggle attack and I could not stop laughing and she kicked me out of the room for laughing. But this isn't like that. I got bailed back in. Think about that. What do you have to do to be expelled from a school in first grade? Not only that, in the five, and it's just a few days leading up to spring break. Four people were shot within 900 feet of the front door of this school. And for me, I'm like, "Hey, man, let's go," you know. Let's. And my daughter reminds Pastor Dad, "Hey, I want to minister to the poor. The people don't have. Because we know what it is to have." You see, she's in touch. She knows what's going on in the world. She knows the message. It's not about her comfort. I want to tell you, as we close here, I, don't, I want to be quick about this, about a guy I've been reading about, David Livingston. I think some people say David Livingstone. That's how you spell it, but I think you say David Livingston. He was born in the early 1800s. He prayed, he said, Lord, I wanna go where you want me to go. He said, Lord, send me anywhere, I'll only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. Sever any ties but the ties that bind me up into your service and to your heart. So he goes off to Africa. He marries a a lady by the name of Mary Moffat, who is the daughter of a famous missionary herself. And he wrote these words, he was a great writer, He wrote these words, the haunting specter of the smoke of a thousand villages in the morning sun has burned within my heart. He was wanting to accomplish in Africa what no one had ever done. And he traversed and explored Africa where everywhere he went, his goal was that Jesus would be in the hearts and lives of men and women. David Livingston fought tooth and nail against the slave trade industry. And so some of his children, as they had kids, it's, it was a very hard place and his children were beginning to die. And so he said, Mary, you take the kids, go back home. They went back home. It wasn't five weeks, it wasn't five months, it was five years later, he goes back home. When Mary sees her husband walk in the door, she can't believe her eyes. He had been out preaching, And he had walked right into the branch of a tree. He was blind in one eye and he was scarred on the other. His skin was leather and it was scorched because it was a pigment that could not take Africa. He had been attacked by a lion and it had almost ripped his shoulder apart. And there he was. But he was a giant of a man, even though his appearance. He would walk as he was back he would walk into a classroom and the faculty and the students would stand up and clap when he walked in the door. He was greatly revered and so revered that there was a guy named Henry Stanley who went to Africa. As he was back home, uh, he said, look, the smoke from a thousand villages are calling me back, I'm going to go back. He goes back over and Stanley wants to follow him. He can't find him. Finally, Livingston, Uh, you know, he, he goes back and his wife joins him, and on the day that she, Mary, shows up, she contracts a horrible disease, and days later, he loses his wife and he buries her in Africa. And this is, he knelt, and this was his prayer. He said, my Jesus, my King, my life, my all. I again consecrate my life to thee. I shall place no value on anything I possess or in anything I may do, except in relation to thy kingdom and to thy service. And he buried his wife. He went back to his camp where someone had played a cruel joke and taken his medicine. And while he was still praying, he got on his knees. He said, God, you promised me that you would always be with me. I need that medication if I am to continue preaching the gospel. Henry Stanley comes walking into the village. He comes up to him and he says, who are you? And he, Stanley says the famous words, Mr. Livingston, I presume. And so Stanley told him two things. One, I'm an atheist, don't try to convert me, I'm fine. Two, here's your medication. Four months later, Stanley gave his life to Christ and he wrote two huge volumes about his travels across Africa and about Livingston. After years and years of preaching, he's preaching from a stretcher one day and he's taken back, he says, I need to go to bed. He goes back and his African helpers, Susie and Chuma, They help him, and he says, I wanna pray. He helps him to his knees, he starts praying. They come back in, and they say, wanna, wanna, and they realize he's dead. See, David Livingston died the way he lived, in touch with his surroundings, in touch with his message, and out of touch with his own comfort. And today, I don't know where you are this morning. I've asked Holly, to sing this song. It's a song that I've been listening to for about a year. It's been very convicting for me. And I want us to marinate as she shares this song, because every person is different here. And what God is calling you. You see, so many people in our culture, it's not moral. Everybody says it's moral. It's not moral, it's spiritual. Get in touch with the heart of God, where there is grace and mercy that can change even the most resistant in this whole world. God can use us in the toughest situations and the hardest hearts you ever run into. Consider that right now.